0: Stay tuned for additional important disclosure information at the end of this episode.
1: Welcome to Simple But Not Easy, a podcast about investing and behavioral science by Morningstar Investment Management. I'm Drew Carter. Today, we're talking about ESG investing and what financial advisors might think about when recommending ESG portfolios to clients. The audio from today's conversation comes from a webinar we hosted recently for our clients and thus has some slides that come with it. I don't think you need those slides to follow along, but if you want to download them, there will be a link in the episode notes, or you can get a copy by emailing us at simple at morningstar.com. Okay, joining me today on the podcast are Paul Arnold, who is a portfolio manager and the co-head of asset allocation strategies at Morningstar Investment Management here in Chicago. Paul also serves as our ESG Asset Allocation Strategy Lead and recently wrote a piece and short video about some of the topics we're going to discuss today. Those pieces can be found at mp.morningstar.com. And joining us from London is Dan Kemp. He is the Chief Investment Officer at Morningstar Investment Management Europe Limited, which is an FCA-regulated firm. Dan has a long history with sustainable investing and also with managing our ESG portfolios in the European market. And it's my pleasure to welcome them both back to the podcast. Dan, let's start with you. You, as I've said, have a long history with ESG, but for many advisors, this is still a new topic. Would you start by explaining what ESG is and how ESG portfolios might differ from standard ones?
2: So yes, let's start with thinking about what ESG is and unpacking it. A little bit. And you can see a great description of ESG on the screen in front of you. ESG it simply means environmental, social and governance. And you'll see there we've unpacked those terms a little bit for you. And what it means in practice is taking these issues into account when making investment decisions or giving advice to your clients. And this is something that many of you will be familiar with, it'll be new to others. It's changed its name many times over the years. When I started uh, in this profession, uh, we called it ethical investing. Other people called it socially responsible investing, sustainable investing. It comes under lots of names, but normally the name people use these days is ESG, and that simply describes uh, the key groups of issues that people think about when investing in this way. And so if we go on to the next slide, uh, we can uh, unpack it even further, because really with, with ESG, uh, the investment options for clients tend to come in two main types, uh, which we'll look at in, in a moment. Now, for many ESG products, they blend these two types of concerns together. And that's why uh, the, the diagram in front of you is of a Venn diagram. Are seldom are do just one thing or the other. Normally people are blended together. And so on the left hand of your screen, uh, you'll see the, uh, the factors that people take into account when thinking about ESG risk. And the idea of ESG risk is that as governments and consumers, policymakers, and other investors think about the greater impact of the risks that come from concerns about ESG issues far into the future, then many investors want to manage the impact of those risks in their portfolios because they believe those risks will either detract value from their investments or hamper future returns. You can see some of the examples of things that people are generally concerned about there. So if we take carbon, uh, for example, then uh, many regulators are tightening up the requirements around carbon emissions, uh, and this leads to uh, regulatory risk or legal risk or the cost of cleaning up when you have carbon emission events. And so it's pretty straightforward to estimate the long-term cost of those risks and apply those to the valuation of the asset in which you're investing. Clearly, it's probabilistic because these are risks, these are not certainties, but you can build it into your financial models. And because ESG risks tend to focus on the financial aspects, that's why i group them all as being primarily focused on financial risk and the financial part of the investment process. But for most people, for many people, uh, there's another aspect to ESG, and that is a way of aligning their values, their preferences with their portfolios. And you can see that on the right-hand side of this diagram. So for some people, instead of just simply wanting to reduce the ESG risk for financial reasons, uh, they want to exclude certain types of companies, certain industries from their portfolios, because they simply don't want to own those type of businesses. And so you'll, you'll see here that some of the classic examples that people want to exclude from their portfolios so that may be uh, tobacco or uh, companies involved in animal testing, gambling, alcohol, weapons, uh, all these sorts of things. And so when people are making those choices, they're not primarily driven by the financial implications, it's just the expression of their, of their values. And often people are prepared to give up returns in order to incorporate those values in their portfolios. And that's why I, I've grouped them together as non-financial aspects. And so when thinking about the uh, the world of ESG investing, really important to understand that some will be primarily financially driven, some non-financial driven, but for most people, there's a mix between the two. Now, if we move on to the next slide, uh, what we'll see there is the impact that ESG can have on your portfolio. Uh, and you'll see here that the the more... ESG considerations you load into a client's portfolio, the smaller typically the opportunity set. So if we start at the the broadest level with that uh, large uh, market cap weighted opportunity set where you can access anything, uh, well, if you apply uh, a measure of ESG risk or rather ESG risk avoidance to that universe, then it typically gets a bit smaller as you uh, tend to have lower exposure, zero exposure to energy companies example, or it may get reweighted so you have a greater exposure to technology companies to fill in some of the gaps created by the loss of energy companies and, and others. And so as you uh, think about ESG risk and incorporate those in the portfolio, the universe gets, gets smaller. And then if you start incorporating values uh, into the portfolio as well, then it typically gets smaller still as people uh, exclude tobacco companies or, or drinks manufacturers. And so again, the universe can get a a little bit smaller, a little bit more constrained. So the important lesson here is when uh, taking into account the, uh, when when wanting to incorporate rather ESG criteria into a client's portfolios, it's really important to incorporate the right level of ESG uh, because that's going to help you get the uh, the maximum opportunity set for your investor.
1: Paul, uh, there are many different types of ESG strategies out there today. When you look at things like risk and return, what are the implications of portfolios that simply consider ESG factors versus portfolios that aim to make a direct impact on some of these issues?
3: You know, one one of the things that uh, I find when speaking with advisors and clients in general is that you know clients rarely come with clear, specific ideas about um, you know what they want to invest in, and, and you guys as as advisors really have Um, you know, that steady hand in terms of educating them and and talking through their potential investment options. And with something that's really sort of coming off the ground floor, at least here in the U.S., uh, and that is ESG or sustainable investing, uh, I think clients are even uh, less educated uh, about what options are available to them, what the trade-offs are, and and really if it's uh, appropriate for them. So, uh, the first step uh, in our mind, is really to assess whether they are interested in uh, a sustainable investing approach in the first place. Uh, we're in the early stages, uh, and I think slide nine has a uh, a little advertisement of a, a tool that we're working on, and you might have heard us mention it before, but it's it's now in the final uh, uh, beta testing stages to really assess the preference for uh, someone in terms of uh, sustainable investing, and so. Uh, one more slide forward. I think we've got a little uh, uh, advertisement Yeah, So the the idea for this tool to help uh, advisors to really work through this question with their clients of of are they um, interested in sustainable investing uh, gets at the heart of uh, the trade offs, uh, you know, between certain investments, their prospective returns, their potential impact on the environment, and what it means to them as an individual. So for example, if you've got a Really high potentially returning uh, energy company that has very poor uh, and potential negative impacts on the environment. Uh, you know what? How important is that environmental concern relative to that return concern? That's not to state that performance uh, is something you have to give up. We'll touch on that later, but it's meant to assess that importance of the values-based component uh, in addition to that financial component and see where investors fall on that spectrum. If, as an advisor, you do find that your client has a preference for ESG, um, you know, I think it's really important that you work with the client to articulate their goals in terms of their values. So we have some clients, uh, and actually, if we go back a slide, I think we can view this uh, in terms of this, this spectrum. Uh, so if we go to slide eight, uh, yeah this is this is a, a nice little way to think about it in terms of the the scale of different sustainable options for investors some clients are really focused on single specific issues so if you look all the way to the right of this slide you'll see something called sustainable sector and there you're going to get something like um, you know a specific fund that invests in renewable energy or water or green real estate. Um, food, something something very specific. Perhaps the investor wants to exclude all energy companies from their portfolio. And as you move left, uh, you get a little bit less focused on individual issues and more focused on the broad incorporation of ESG into the portfolio. Uh, and in those instances, uh, such as our ESG asset allocation portfolios, you're going to get a a well-rounded solution that incorporates, um, you know, generally a positive screen or a tilt towards higher-scoring companies, uh, companies perhaps that have less ESG risk and uh, a better uh, values-based score overall. And you know, I think in the U.S., um, uh, that's sort of the bifurcation: is folks that are looking for that uh, enhancement of their overall. Uh, portfolio in terms of it, the risks related to ESG while still aiming for uh, specific long-term financial results in those clients. Again, that want something really, really specific.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, Paul. Uh, that, you know, it's not just as simple as whether someone is interested in ESG investing or not, but also figuring out where someone lies on that spectrum and getting more granular about what's important to them. So, Paul when you think about those differences and with those trade-offs in mind, how might advisors who've had that conversation with a client then facilitate matching them with an appropriate ESG portfolio? How is recommending an ESG portfolio different from recommending a standard one?
3: It's a good question. And I think it really gets back to, uh, you know, the last couple of comments that I made uh, uh, just earlier in, in that, you really need to understand your client's goals, and if they're looking for a more broad-based, uh, fully integrated multi-asset ESG solution, where they want to meet their long-term investment goals, but just do it in a in a fashion that's perhaps a little bit more sustainable or helps meet their preference for uh, ESG, uh, or are they looking for something a little bit more uh, specific? And so, um, you know, is Is a manager simply using a negative screen to produce a portfolio that um, looks like the benchmark, but excludes SIN stocks? Perhaps that's uh, what folks think about when they think of uh, the original socially responsible investing mandates here in the US. And that's the most basic level uh, of a way that a client could uh, look at implementing a ESG portfolio these days. Um, I think more importantly now, most clients at a minimum want to see some sort of um, positive screen. And that's where, um, you know, as the advisor, you want to look for strategies that not only exclude certain areas, but invest in companies in uh, the remaining portion of the total market where those companies are either A, doing something um, more positive as it relates to sustainable investing, or uh, on a relative basis, score better and have lower potential ESG risk uh, than other companies in uh, you know the total broad market. So I think as we sort of move from simple exclusionary screen into this fully integrated approach and then up to the you know the specific sustainable sector, that's where uh, as an advisor really understanding those values and um, you know helping to place clients, Uh, really is important. Um, I think for for many of you folks on this call, you're dealing with uh, clients that are looking to grow their long-term wealth and uh, to do so in a multi-asset approach. Uh, And in that instance, you really want to understand, are your clients okay with um, not necessarily excluding exposure to all possible ESG risks, but can they get comfortable with um, having a better looking or more sustainable portfolio than a simple benchmark or a standard non-ESG approach. And I think the answer that we're seeing is that more clients are comfortable with that once they understand what that means. And I think um, that the paper um, that we put out talks a little bit about what's under the hood and what you're sort of uh, getting with a more broad-based ESG incorporated Uh, multi-asset approach.
1: Paul, you recently wrote an article on this topic. And again, that article can be found at mp.morningstar.com. In the article, you said that the next step in the process is to fully understand the portfolio that you might consider matching with a client, right? Can you talk about that, please?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Of, Of course, in a standard portfolio, the main thing that most clients are concerned with is uh, meeting their long-term financial goals. And as you'll see with our mission statement here on slide 10, we are aiming to not only meet the long-term financial needs of your clients, but also do it in a way that uh, meets their preference for sustainability or um, you know, their, their preference to uh, contribute more positively in that area. And so uh, what, we, what we did was we, we looked into our ESG asset allocation portfolios just to, to help uh, folks understand what it is that you're getting when you invest in a um, ESG incorporated multi-asset uh, set of portfolios. And so if we move ahead to slide uh, 11, I think we can start here. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, any manager that you want to look at should be able to provide you uh, with this level of detail on their underlying holdings. And at Morningstar, of course, we have access to a wonderful set of data and and we're able to really provide this type of material uh, to help you and your clients understand what you're getting with our ESG portfolios. So um, this is just one example of uh, what your investors might be getting in a fully incorporated ESG approach. So you can see the first and foremost, uh, we use a measure of ESG risk. uh, And this is through our partners with Sustainalytics, and also Morningstar uh, Incorporated uh, data. And you can see on the right-hand side of this chart, the red bars, which represent our uh, most equity-heavy ESG portfolio, have lower exposure than the gray bars in terms of severe and high ESG risk. And why, we, why this is important is essentially we've shifted the distribution Uh, towards less risky uh, holdings. And so it's not as though uh, we're claiming to provide a portfolio that um, has inoculated itself fully against any given ESG risk or um, every single specific company in any controversial area. But what it does is it's providing a better ESG risk profile. And hopefully, um, you know, that can translate both to um, Potential risk reduction, as well as an enhanced um, score in terms of the ESG risk profile for clients that are uh, where, where that is important. And moving forward a slide, uh, we also show a reduced exposure to extreme controversies. So you know, think about uh, Volkswagen, uh, the emission scandal, or or you know, when when big Enron, when big um, you know controversies occur. Is our portfolio exposed uh, potentially to those? And what you can see is it's even more pronounced here in terms of this distribution. The red bars uh, with severe, high, and um, significant uh, are all lower than a non-ESG basic benchmark, which is just a, a regular stock, bond, cash type benchmark. And so, um, you know, I think it's really important to note that. Um, again, our objective is to incorporate the sort of positive tilt towards uh, sustainability. And uh, in a multi-asset approach, sure, you are going to have some risk, but what we're doing is uh, mitigating that risk. Uh, Another way to look at a portfolio would be to uh, understand the type of exposures in terms of product involvement and carbon uh, involvement that your portfolio might have. So, if we move one slide further, we've got an example again with our most equity-heavy uh, ESG asset allocation portfolio, and what we're showing here is carbon, uh, various uh, sub-industries within carbon product involvement. Uh, so, you can see fossil fuels, thermal coal, oil and gas product and services, oil and gas exploration. And again, the red bars represent our uh, fully integrated ESG portfolio approach, and the gray bar represents that basic benchmark. And again, um, you can see uh, we're not aiming to exclude these unilaterally, but we are aiming to give you that um, a more sustainable portfolio, and again, a portfolio that has lower exposure to these areas. And so I think that's really what you want to look for in a portfolio as an advisor is Um, If these things are important to your client, if they want this more positive screen, potential risk reduction, potential for a higher sustainability score, um, then this broad multi-asset ESG incorporated approach uh, should hopefully make sense for you and your clients. Uh, If your client has this um, explicit belief that all energy companies are bad and they don't want to provide any capital to those companies, then this approach is not a great approach. And you're going to want to think about looking at some more targeted, specific uh, individual portfolios or um, you know, sector portfolios to sort of meet those specific needs for those clients. So it is sort of that dichotomy between really focused values and more broad uh, preference for sustainability that's important to sift through uh, during your due diligence process.
1: Paul, what does an advisor have to do to get detailed information on a given fund or strategy?
3: So we would expect uh, any asset manager that claims to have some sort of a <laughs> uh, an ESG integration level to be able to provide you with uh, their you know, the same set of statistics that we've provided you. It does get a little bit more tricky when you look at a multi-asset approach. And in our case, we're using many managers that have different approaches to integrating ESG. And it becomes, um, you know, uh, for any given fund, you can get that information. But it becomes a little bit more difficult uh, to sort of roll that up in aggregate. But if you're looking uh, at any specific fund uh, or any manager, you're definitely going to want to understand their approach in terms of how they're incorporating uh, ESG, and that it's at a level that you believe is uh, appropriate and intentional. So I'm glad we uh, we brought up slide 14 here because uh, I think it's really important when we um, you know when we've highlighted in the in the past uh, the performance issue and that we don't believe you have to give up long-term performance to also have a sustainable uh, portfolio. It's really important that when you're doing due diligence, uh, you are focused on this dual mandate. Uh, When you as an advisor are doing due diligence on a regular fund, you know, uh, what does the team look like? Do they have the proper investment resources? Do we expect them to provide outperformance in the future? Standard, you know, standard questions. Um, As you look at strategies uh, such as ours for your clients, and as we look at strategies to use to build portfolios for your clients, um, we need to understand how these managers are incorporating ESG. Um, You know, we have uh, have seen a lot of investment managers use the words uh, sustainability and ESG in their pitch. Um, And quite frankly, a lot of it is greenwashing. Uh, these days it's it's uh, it's cool it's in it's in fashion it's in vogue to um, say that you've been running ESG portfolios you've always thought about ESG it's always been a part of your process um, but really you want to drill down and understand um, what are you getting with that portfolio and is the manager doing what they say they're doing you know we've backed that up with some statistics for our portfolio and any manager that you look at should be able to uh, help walk you through how they incorporate it uh, into their into their process. Um, one of the additional steps that we use when building multi-asset portfolios in this in this slide that you're seeing, this is our regular 12-step um, multi-asset portfolio process. But uh, where a lot of the value that we add with our ESG asset allocation portfolio series comes in uh, is with the manager selection piece. Uh, we have a separate scoring mechanism to assess the commitment level of a manager towards ESG and help understand how they're incorporating it into the portfolio. And there's a minimum threshold of incorporation or commitment to ESG that we would expect in order for a manager to be uh, considered an intentionally uh, incorporated ESG manager. And uh, you'd be surprised a lot of managers that say they're uh, focused on ESG Uh, It simply doesn't uh, meet the standards that we would have for an investor who has a preference for sustainability. Um, One other uh, interesting uh, part of the process uh, for us, since we're on this slide, I'll take the liberty to uh, expand on it a little bit, is uh, on risk and return consideration. So when we talk about portfolio development, uh, we talk about uh, the investments that we're selecting in terms of manager selection. But uh, when you are looking at asset allocation, and as you know, we follow a valuation-driven approach, the investments that you uh, get once you sift through the uh, ESG consideration do not look the exact same as those that um, you might get. Without an ESG lens, uh, sort of on top of it. So, I think uh, not to steal Dan's thunder in any way, but the United Kingdom is a great example of a country that has, uh, in our view, actually a pretty uh, positive or attractive uh, implied return moving forward. But much of that return actually comes from areas in the market that don't score well uh, through a sustainable lens. And so, If we were to invest in the UK market, but screen out or use managers that screen out uh, some of the potentially uh, larger ESG risks, you end up with a UK market with a lower uh, expected return moving forward. So we have to craft our portfolio with that in mind and aim to um, look for areas where we can um, enhance the return without adding uh, additional risk after overlaying the ESG screen. So uh, it's both a asset allocation decision as well as a manager selection decision. Um, And again, any manager that you use should be able to uh, relay how they bake that into their process as it relates specifically to ESG integration.
1: Dan, I want to come back to you. Uh, Performance is, of course, a consideration when investing. We might expect that to be true with ESG investing as well. There seems to be two camps on ESG performance, though. One says that you have to give up something to potentially express your values. But more recently, it seems there's a camp that suggests that ESG investors won't necessarily give up returns to invest according to their values. Could you shed some light on this for us, please?
2: So... uh, we just gone through what's really been a golden period for ESG investors. And, and you can see the evidence of that in the, in the next few slides. And We'll just move through those slowly maybe so that people can take in the performance. Uh, because what we've seen is, is since 2015, this is uh, Morningstar data, we've seen fantastic performance by funds that have uh, an ESG mandate. And that covers the full spectrum, of ESG, what Paul was talking about before. And so the, the evidence that's coming out of this work is that you don't have to uh, give up returns uh, in order to uh, incorporate your values and ESG risk into your, uh, into your portfolio. But of course, in reality, as with everything in investment, it's a little more complicated than just that basic conclusion. Because as we dig a little bit deeper, what we see is that uh, part of the reason that ESG portfolios have done so well, ESG funds have done so well over the last few years, is because they've had structurally more exposure to growth stocks, uh, to technology stocks in many cases, which, as we know, have been pretty popular with investors and less exposure uh, to unpopular companies, as, as Paul said, things like energy companies. And so part of the uh, performance that we've seen uh, 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 the uh, excellent uh, points you've seen from the existing, uh funds and portfolios has come from the fact that they've been in the popular parts of the market over the last few years. And so, of course, what that says to us is that some element of the returns from an ESG portfolio are going to be cyclical, uh, that there'll be times when high ESG assets are in favour and times when they'll be out of favour. And so it's really important when... Uh, talking to uh, an end investor to uh, to both explain to them that ESG, high ESG or funds won't always outperform and won't always underperform. They'll be a, a cyclical element. It's not just about uh, performance. But also, it's worth saying that as we look over the longer term, uh, then the, uh, the consideration of ESG focus managers to take account of uh, those uh, longer-term risks, uh, those long term ESG risks that come from the great scrutiny by regulators and by consumers that we talked about earlier, uh, probably will have an impact on the fundamentals of a business. That if you have a business that is less susceptible to the catastrophic risks uh, that uh, we've seen impact uh, some of these low ESG companies, then we can see a situation where the fundamental value of a high of a highest business is much higher. So in that sense, there can be a return tailwind uh, that is more permanent and cyclical. But of course, it's not just having the better fundamental profile, it's what you pay for that better fundamental profile. Uh, as ever, uh, as Paul said, we are valuation-driven investors. We're constantly thinking not only about the prospects of the assets we hold, but the price we're paying those assets, because it's only if you pay the right price for an asset that you can turn a good asset into a great investment. And uh, there is a price at which you can turn a good asset into a terrible investment. And so, when we're looking at the underlying companies and assessing the risk that comes from their ESG profile, then although that may convey a, a permanent or semi permanent uh, um, advantage in terms of fundamentals of business we have to be careful not to overpay. And that's why our valuation matters as much in ESG investment as it does in conventional investment. So although we've seen these great returns, and of course these great returns have led to more and more managers wanting to associate themselves with ESG and that greenwashing point that Paul made so well earlier, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that that, uh, that performance is going to carry on in the future. And so when when talking to clients who are interested in the issue, make sure that they are focused on their, um, on expressing their values to their portfolios on managing those long-term risks, and not just on buying a, a, a type of investment uh, that's performed so strong in the last few years. We know that tends not to end well. People are focused on short-term performance. So it has been great. There's permanent advantage, but there's also a cyclicality element as well
1: what thoughts would you both leave for advisors who would like to incorporate sustainable investment portfolios into their practice?
3: Um, you know, from my perspective, as we mentioned, this is an emerging area in the U S and I think education is key. And so being able to differentiate your practice by having knowledge on sustainable investing and uh, able to offer it as a solution to your clients um, and of course, it's not going to be right for everybody, but just simply having it on the shelf and having the knowledge and the ability to connect with your clients uh, and, and talk it through with them uh, is going to differentiate you from your peers. Um, and, you know, I think lastly, as we talk about the baby boomers moving towards retirement, you know, there's going to be a generational wealth uh, that is going to be transitioning down to uh, millennials and a, a younger investing audience. And I think that um, sustainable investing is certainly something that is uh, more important to many folks uh, that are just joining the ranks of uh, in the investing ranks uh, and could help uh, retain assets as a general generational wealth uh, is transferred uh, down to younger folks. So uh, just something to keep in mind from my perspective.
2: Uh, and Paul, I-, I just add the. That, uh, that the benefit of the deepening relationship that can come from talking about ESG. And this may seem a little counterintuitive as so much of an advisor's time, as you guys all know, uh, much better than I do, is spent really focusing on the, the, the hard details of uh, income extension, investment returns, and, and future, uh, future plans and, and, and the taxation around that. But just by bringing up the ESG question, uh, the subject of values, uh, the the broader question of what people want to achieve with their money rather than just their goals, can really enrich that relationship. Because it's generally so much more interesting for people to talk about uh, their their interests, their values, uh, their impact on society and the environment, potentially, if that's that's something that that is um, is important to them, uh, than just to to talk about the financial aspects of of their life. and so by asking the questions, which can seem really uncomfortable, I know, to, uh, to a lot of financial advisors, but we find that advisors that do ask that question, that do draw out those values uh, from, the, from the clients, even if they never get incorporated in a portfolio, uh, just being able to broaden out that conversation uh, can have a really positive impact on the relationship.
1: We'll leave it there. Uh, My thanks again to Dan Kemp and Paul Arnold for sharing their thoughts on ESG investing. And thanks to you too for listening today. Visit mp.morningstar.com to read Paul's article as mentioned before, as well as many other insights. Thanks again for listening to Simple But Not Easy. I'm Drew Carter. Bye for now.
0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication. Such opinions are subject to change. No Morningstar entity, including Morningstar Investment Management and Morningstar Research Services, shall be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the content presented. Morningstar makes no representation as of the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal.